discussion. There's a lot to discuss. There is so much to discuss. All right. Well, I am off and running. I set the recording on. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome back, everybody, to season finale day. Yay! Oh, my goodness. And boo. It, yeah. It's yeah. bittersweet. How did, I'm so how did sad we... that this is the last one. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. So really quickly, we're going to go over a couple things from episode 12, because we had some really great stuff. I won't be able to cover everything, but rest assured, throughout the summer and leading up to season three, uh, in the interim between, I'll be doing a lecture series. I'll come back and address a few more comments and things like that mm-hmm. with um, different people, and also Kay and Abigail. It can uh, be like car talk. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Keep reading little the... updates. Mm-hmm. All right. So our first one is we were wondering what the pages were that was in the graphic novel Emily saw when the mm-hmm. book is open. Yes. In Commander Lawrence's study slash house. And it's from a graphic novel called Mouse. Mm-hmm. And it is by Art, Art Spiegelman. Spiegelman. Mm-hmm. And he did this graphic novel between the years of 1980 and 1991. And it is him interviewing his father uh, as a Polish Jew and Holocaust survivor in the personification of mice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, these two particular panels that were briefly featured in the show, it's about how there was an order of evacuating Jews from their homes that they owned, moving them into smaller abodes, cramming them, Mm -hmm. the formation of these Jewish ghettos, which I think we actually Mm -hmm. mentioned in the last episode. We did. And there is a couple interesting things in those panels. I'll repost them. They're on the, the Facebook page in one of the comments. But there's a sign in the background that said, you know, if you turn in a Jew that is unregistered, you get one kilo of sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so j- just drawn on, you know, real life events and sort of it was a, a tool to help people understand you know, the events of this era based on the, the real life experiences of his father. So mm-hmm. I recommend checking that out. It's it's a really, really great graphic novel. And so that was what was in there. It was. Yeah, I actually should have recognized it because I actually own it. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, you can get like a big anthology of it. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so our next comment is from Jeffrey, and this is a great one. He says, you know, in regards to Serena's alleged change of heart at the end of episode 12, you know, Eden's death, you know, murder by the Gilead authorities really affects her and puts her into perspective the future of her own daughter. Mm -hmm. Right. And Jeffrey writes, it reminds me of Oppenheimer's change of heart after the Trinity bomb test. He was focused on the science and development of the weapon without considering the larger ramifications. And when he saw the bomb's destructive power, he had a, oh my goodness, what have I done moment. This weapon meant to defend his country could also destroy it. He continues, Serena's been pretty clear that she wants a baby and will engage in treason and fascism to get one. Well, now she has one and seeing young Eden's execution made her realize that fascism that got her a baby girl could easily kill that baby girl one day. Oppenheimer, the father of the atom bomb, became an anti-nuclear activist after the war, but part of his legacy is his failure to foresee the larger ramifications of his work. Serena might have a change of heart, yes, but it might be too late, both for her life and her legacy. What a mm-hmm. great comment, Jeffrey. This is, I think, your second time writing in yeah. on sort of these um, historical, contextual well, things. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. in a similar note, the guy that created TNT, uh, after he created it and realized what it was doing, what, he, what kind of destruction it was created, yeah, he 
took the money that he uh, made off of TNT, created the Nobel Prize, and now we have the Nobel Prizes that are handed out for peace and, you know, all sorts of other situations. That's that's great. That's how that started was because of someone's (laughs) guilt over their creation of TNT. And that's so fascinating. And I... You know, this is a a pretty common occurrence. And I think we discussed this also with our theories about Commander Lawrence. Because Mm -hmm. what was his role and what was his motivations? What were his motivations to be a part of Sons of Jacob and overthrow the American government? And it might have been like the pursuit of like a higher ideal of structure or just something different. He was so focused on that, that all of the auxiliary stuff, like the subjugation of women, just Mm -hmm. didn't either occur to him or didn't, the ramifications of which didn't hit him until now, recently, Mm -hmm. or within the past few years of Gilead's, you know, true inception and, and execution. And we see in episode 13 where, you know, his true kind of heart lies, where his loyalties sort of are great. His comments are funny. Oh, man. Like, what are you doing? I'm about to be in a shit ton of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was also a comment by uh, Amy about the Red Center in Massachusetts versus Virginia. And so we suppose since the whole map is red, that there are probably Rachel and Leah Centers. Oh, yeah. There map. definitely have to be multiple. We know one's in Arlington. Virginia, and there must be one in the Massachusetts vicinity because Absolutely. of their uh, Fenway Park and right. in relation to Boston Globe right. and things like that. It's right there. Brenda and Miriam also were having a discussion about why Eden was not executed versus being made a handmaid like the wife of the bread truck driver a few episodes back. And so I had thrown out a theory that because these punishments aren't necessarily put forth or uh, enforced to a certain degree, like of severity. Mm-hmm. I think I, I thought of the Bible that Fred Waterford has with all of the little post-it marks in it. You mm-hmm. know, this is what you do and this is the punishment, which is how he came to justify the right. the punishment he had on Serena disobeying him. So maybe it's related to scripture. So whatever it the, might be. you know, I know that offenses um, in the scripture. That's possibly what I'm willing to bet that it's also different by class. Mm. So uh, when the wife uh, made a sin of the flesh, Mm -hmm. uh, cheated on her husband, she was sent to the colonies. Mm -hmm. But now Eden, Mm -hmm. a wife of a not not a commander, but of a guardian, middle class, middle class. Right. Mm -hmm. Her her execution um, or her drowning. Mm-hmm. might be an equivalent to what the wife had. Right. They might that. see that it's a different, it's the same level punishment, but different per class. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And the crimes are different. Like the wife of the bread truck driver, she is technically harboring a fugitive. Mm-hmm. And obviously she was fertile because she had a child. So right. She had some usefulness. So I think a lot of those things sort of are at play because I think there is always a lot of confusion. Like, why would you punish someone like that? And, I, and it's, it's a various yeah, amount of factors. Yeah, and I think sure. uh, the wife of the bread truck driver, she didn't actually do anything wrong. She was you know, submissive to her husband, and so they probably gave her the benefit of the doubt. And because she is fertile, mm-hmm. she still has use to them, so they put her in the handmade cycle. And that just is reminiscent to me also. We talk a lot about North Korea on the show this season for we, some reason. because well, mm-hmm. it's relevant. <laughs> and that is something that the North Korean regime does, is that the, for the offense of one person in the family, there tends to be punishments. For everyone. For everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. 
right. Well, so we're going to move on to episode 13. What an episode. This is jam-packed. Oh, so no surprises. Much Remember how Kay was saying, Kay, last episode you were saying that you couldn't stay awake at midnight. It was 1230, and you're like, mm-hmm. I'll finish this in the morning, because it was a <laughs> slow episode, and it, there was no real crazy arcs, and it wasn't a whole lot of action, and... I mean, I was seven minutes in, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they made a up for it. Banger of an episode. Well, and that's what I was saying last week: is that you know you gotta slow it down some in order to come back up for the for the, for the finale. finale. There so, was a. It came to a point, I think, during the the main escape where I'm usually furiously writing notes, and you know, Kay and Abigail can attest. I have yeah. a giant notebook full of notes. It is entirely filled. <laughs> and there's a point when that sequence begins where I didn't write anything. I was just hyperventilating, <laughs> just glued to the TV, and I like had nothing to say. I was just like, I don't know how this is going to go. I think the writers and showrunners, for the first, I don't know if it's the first time, one of the rare times where they actively tried to bury the lead and mislead you. Yes, mm-hmm. and they did it so well. Well, uh, it wasn't the only time. It was not the only time. No, think, but this was first the episode. epic one. Yeah. First episode of that this season. That is very true. That's very It was very almost like true. it kind of came back around. That's very you know, true. That's very that, true. You are um, right. I have a lot of pro- problems with They were with all West in the World, vans going off and, you know, and... <laughs> In Fenway Park, and were they going to actually hang all these people or not? Yeah, and you're right. Nope. That was another one. You know. So it's been a few times. Yeah. A lot of suspense. So we open with Offred and Rita doing laundry. First of all, Rita. <laughs> oh, she Rita finally you. gets her due, and I'm so happy. Okay, so Rita's They've doing... They've been sitting on this all season. All oh, no, so two seasons sitting on <laughs> Rita. And they're putting away they're going through this process of putting away eden's clothing so they've washed everything and i was mentioning to Kay. Kay and i were talking before we started recording about like no one really talks or shows this sort of process of grief it's not just like the feeling and the emotion but if someone out there i'm sure listening has lost someone that's close to them or have lived with someone and had to deal with the aftermath so to speak Mm -hmm. of those person's belongings and it is a process it's a process of the grieving process to go through this person you've lost belongings some people do it immediately some people have to wait a month or two like some people do it never yeah some people hire someone else to deal with it yeah it's very true very true and so and note that the husband wasn't the one that went through it it was the women of the house Mm -hmm. very true and their conversation their conversation got me you know do you think she sewed this herself i could never hem a pant line to save my life for Mm -hmm. my daughter hannah but my mother used to be a whiz at it do you think she did it herself oh she probably did like it was it was a sweet moment between the two trying to work those through those emotions and things like that and she does have a, a wonderful voiceover in the beginning a little bit shocking but also you know, very poignant, you know. I liked it. She said, heretics don't get to rest in peace. There'll be no marker for her grave, you know. Yep. And she says, Aunt Lydia used to tell us in the Red Center that you get just turned into animal feed, which is really gruesome to think about. But it's a cycle of life, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, it's actually a little bit beautiful. Like, well, you know, said, it, it's, it's gruesome, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And that's a little bit rough to be like, well, shit. 
that's what's yeah. happening to her. Especially we know the context of this right. person whom they but, executed. But to look at it in the larger picture, you know, she she died for something that she was standing up for. Very true. For true love that she believed in and she went out with her love. Mm-hmm. Um, that's beautiful on its own. Not I'm not content condoning what happened at all i'm just saying that the act that she stood up for was beautiful and to know that her body will go towards the cycle of life it won't just be cremated and thrown away mm-hmm. it's or filled full of chemicals and right the it, it's mm-hmm. she's you know she came from a farm and she's going to end up back on a farm yeah, it's go. kind of a beautiful cycle if we if we can look at the lighter side of things she also has this line you know you know, all we leave behind is a uniform, handmade, oh. Martha, wife. Well, because they don't have names. And yeah, it's like this signifier of your class and your position. You know, all you leave is this uniform. It's sad. And Rita, they have start, no other possessions. We start this journey with Rita in this very first scene, and Rita is feeling a lot of guilt for the way she treated Eden. Yeah. And then we see her. In- incredibly emotional throughout this episode. It was really sad. You know, I should have tried should have been nicer should have been Mm -hmm. kinder and i feel like that's just such an allegory for anyone that goes through loss yeah you even think about the last words that you say to someone what were my last words oh Mm -hmm. the last Mm -hmm. thing i said to them was awful you know and people sit on that for years yeah absolutely it eats them inside so this is sort of really the start of i don't want to say the start but i think the first catalyst of rita's journey in this episode yeah and so offered is going through and it looks like she unwraps something that possibly eden's uh wedding gown or a wedding wedding uniform yeah or what is that the consummation something and they find a bible this beautiful white bible and lo and behold not only can she read and write but she had written these notes all over it and why? Because she has a personal relationship with, with God. God. Yes. <laughs> Kay and I just high five. <laughs> and this whole scene was so fascinating to me because it I feel like the discovery of the Bible makes her death even more tragic. And it was devastating in episode 12. But I felt it, it really was. even more tragic because everyone, including all of the viewers, have completely underestimated Eden yeah. up until this mm-hmm. point. And uh, there were times, too, you know, when she found the letters, we're like, we don't even know she can read, you know? We don't even know she cares about them. Yeah, we assumed she couldn't read. So if she knew what they were and he knew, she knew that Nick was in possession of them, going all the way back then, she one... She did nothing. Yeah, she did nothing. She protected Nick. She, she protected him, him and she actually the trusted him. She trusted him, took his word for it. Or it was po- it's possible that she could have read them and mm-hmm. she chose not to. Not to. Because she trusted him. Yeah, we have two different ways to go about this. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one it is because honestly, like it could have gone either way. She could be, I mean, I, I could believe both sides that she Absolutely. was so completely trusting that she never read it or she read it and she still trusted him and believed in him and did nothing. Right. It could have been either one and they're both valid. And the entire arc of, I believe, the latter half of this series about women sort of re-sampling, reclaiming some part of their former power and privileges. It's weird to call them privileges, like reading, privilege. <laughs> uh, but 
reclaiming that old part of you know life as an equal human being yeah you know to everybody else things like reading and writing reclaiming that and eden just seemed like on this whole opposite spectrum and we thought she was just so completely focused on her piousness and creating a family and being a perfect gilead citizen right we completely underestimated her this entire time 100%. not only she was reading and writing and it we just, actually thought she was on the other end that she would be yes. dangerous because she was so pious so pious mm-hmm. She was so pious that she was a heretic. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Like, how did this happen? What? So I just have a great appreciation for how they they sort of put a button on that Eden mm-hmm. experience. I like it. I, I really us. like that. So it makes it really crushing in this in this scene where uh, Serena is in the greenhouse with baby oh. Nicole slash Holly. Oh. And she was well, okay. So let's just stop right there. I kind of giggled when I first saw Serena in there with the daughter, and I'm like, "You've got your baby seedlings and your baby, and your baby. <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna rage garden yeah. <laughs> with your baby gardening here? She's baby gardening. The baby. Uh, yes. Um, she was trying. Can we to- talk for a moment because oh, I yeah. just thought of this after we recorded. Mm-hmm. The baby's name is Nicole. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. What's her father's name? Nick. Oh! <laughs> oh, that's funny. Nick. What? I want to know kind of the etymology of the Nicole with the H. Because that's, that's oh. a little different. Well, if you want to pause, I can Google real quick. You can Google. Well, I mean, you can Google chip, chip regardless. But I'm just I, I'm yeah. thinking like Nicholas, but Absolutely. except the female version of it. Because that, that didn't strike me until I was on my way home what? yesterday. I'm like, wait a minute. Why would you choose to name that child Nicole? That's really weird. That's so weird. Of all the nine zillion things that you could name her, even if you, even if it needed to be a saint's name, mm-hmm. of the nine zillion things that you could name that child, why would you pick Nicole is with there, a father named Nicholas? Is there a biblical precedent for Nicole? Uh, for Nicole, but not spelled like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Saint Nicholas Saint is, Nicholas. you know, who yeah. he is. Oh, but, probably. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 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 And and he does he did bring gifts, didn't he? Did he? bring gifts. Um, but uh, all the gifts. But yeah, I just thought it was an odd thing for them to choose to name the child if they were not doing it on purpose. That's such a funny connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're in the greenhouse, baby gardening, and Alfred comes in with the Bible. And again, you know, we get this seesaw with Serena. We're like, oh, she's you know finally in this camp, and then she seesaws back the other way. So she's sort of back on her hard defensive side. And Alfred is challenging her. You know, she she's like she was trying to understand God, mm-hmm. and. June doesn't particularly ever strike us, I believe, as like a per- uh, religious person. She's not. But she recognizes that Eden's efforts were all about her personal relationship with God, mm-hmm. her trying to understand God, to to lift herself to a place where she was completely in line with the wishes of the God according to the Bible. So she's analyzed all of these things. So I feel like also it harkens back to a lot of the questions she asks people. She's like, don't you think that God would want parents that loved each other? Mm-hmm. You know, so she understands what all the rules of Gilead are because obviously she's gone through every page of the Bible and analyzed it. Right. And despite all that, understanding where Gilead comes from, she's still chosen the path of love in her, in her view. And Serena comes back, you know, she should have been smarter, you know, and and I wrote sort of here, you know, is this a stage of denial or grief 
this sort of anger slash defensiveness, possibly. Yeah. I, I think her basic take was that she wasn't raised properly. Right. Well, and so, I will raise my child better than to know better than to than pull that. a stunt like that, well, essentially. But, okay, so when Serena looks at the Bible and she says, um, apparently she had a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, at first I didn't understand what she was talking about. Then I realized, oh, she's reading and writing. But mm-hmm. to just stand there and she went from crying over Eden mm-hmm. to saying, well, she sucks and this is why. Mm-hmm. Like, she's justifying things? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but to to go ahead and just dismiss it, I, I think that's deeper than that. Oh, I, I agree. I'm just saying it's, I, I think it's initially, I mean, you have a visceral reaction to things that are happening in front of you. But then as time passes, you have you to find a way feelings. to rationalize that so, for okay. yourself. She and still has to reconcile the society she's created with the consequences created and of right. chooses the society to continue to live in. Created. She was given the opportunity to leave it mm-hmm. when she was in Canada and yep. chose not to. Yep. Um, and that she intends to raise her child a in girl society. in. Um, so the way that one of the ways that she can rationalize that to herself is well, clearly this child was not raised. Properly, I'm not going to make that. Mistake. I'm not going to make that same mistake. My child will be raised not to pull well, a stunt like this. Just like how one of like the commanders that. said, uh, "We gave them too much to. Uh, we let them have too much before. We won't make, make that, that same mistake, mistake again." Mm-hmm. 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 So I looked up the name uh, Nicole, mm-hmm. and I looked up the actual spelling N I C H O L E, and. It comes from the French, ah. and I believe it uh, means um, people's victory. And then it is the feminine form of Nicholas. So I went into the Bible of, and looked at Nicholas. And um, St. Nicholas was the fourth century bishop from Anatolia, who, mm-hmm. according to legend, saved the daughters of a poor man from lives of prostitution. The more you know, rainbow star. (laughs) (laughs) So, Nicole is being saved from prostitution? Never put anything past these writers. Well, exploitation of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. I like it, guys. As a result of her gender. Um, Yeah, but it was just one of those things where I was like, why would you choose to name the child Nicole (laughs) with a father named Nicholas? Right. Unless you did that on purpose. Well, that also brings in But there's multiple connections here. Sure, the, absolutely. There's mm-hmm. also now a link of why Nick is named Nick. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it's, you know, from the source material in the book, whether Margaret Atwood intentioned that or not, which I wouldn't put it past her that she I did intend it that she way. she did. Because he's been saving her over mm-hmm. and over again. Over That's what he's been again. doing. And, and so this conversation continues. You people's know, victory. People's victory. So mm-hmm. this conversation continues, you know, she says, she challenges Serena, what are you going to do to keep her safe? You know, I will teach her the, uh, the sayings word. of God, the word of God, the Bible, how you can't read. Yeah, she cannot read his word because these children will not be taught mm-hmm. how to read. And so that's incredibly poignant. And of course, this sets up the arc of what the wives do, especially Serena in this episode. Well, and so, so she can, can I... It made me think. Mm-hmm. So I was raised in the Catholic Church, 
And in the Catholic Church, at the beginning of each uh, calendar year, we get these books in um, all the aisles. You get these fresh mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. And at the front, you look at the, uh, the date of your Sunday or Saturday, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And it tells you what page to go to. You go to that page and there's your entire, you know, mass prepared for you. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a Bible. Ah, uh, so it was like that. I never touched a Bible until I was 21 years old. Because it was all there for you. In because this, like, it was, t- I, I was yeah. told what yes. we were happening. It was like mm-hmm. four or five pages each Sunday and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it was whatever they wrote. It wasn't actually straight Bible verses or anything. It was whatever they decided. They so, would choose a Bible verse and, yeah. and, and, they and put, the hom- put the homily around it. Right. And right. the homily is where the priest got, you know, freedom of expression, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, but that made me gotcha. think, you know, this is similar in that, you know, you're going to teach the word of God according to how you remember it, how someone else tells you it is without actually looking at the source and knowing for yourself. I did not know half of the Bible when I touched it. I read it and I was like, where, where's, where are these stories coming from? Mm-hmm. I didn't know most of it in the mm-hmm. Bible. And people started referencing, you know, Galatians and uh, I don't know, the numbers oh my god numbers blew my mind (laughs) numbers is crazy y'all but a little bit (laughs) and revelations and just all of it was nuts and i had never heard any of it so she makes a valid point you know you're only gonna know what's being told to you and you're assuming the best yes Mm -hmm. for me you know literacy obviously is one of those things that is a tool of empowerment or oppression. Mm-hmm. The more education a populace has, the freer, quote unquote, the more democratic they tend to be because you're able to, you know, read different points of view and you have this education. You can, you can be on par with, yeah, with, with other peers of different classes. So it, it gives you that upward mobility. Education does that. That's like proven, you know, <laughs> it's like not like contentious. And so when you take away access to those things, take away access to education, this, and this happens in the United States all the time, everywhere. And when you remove access to literacy and education, it helps to control information and therefore helps control power for those who are controlling access. Mm-hmm. So obviously, and control the people, you keep them under wraps. Absolutely. So, you know, you can imagine if you, you know, skipping ahead to the scene where, you know, Serena organizes all of the women to go in front of the council chambers. First of all, that takes some chutzpah. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> a great that. word. It's a great word. Yiddish has great words to describe they things. They really do. And, you know, the council very readily sees they that They smack you, that down. That so that fast. is just becomes the stepping stone because if you can read the word, anything that they find, they're going to come up with lots of ideas, right? right. It, it's it, it's such like an adage, and it was like get those you know ideas in your head. Like this is where it starts. Right. So they can't make that sort of concession. So literacy, you know, and right now we're talking about the Bible, but obviously if you teach someone to read the Word of God, I mean, you can read anything. Mm-hmm. And right. theoretically, all of that stuff should have been purged, but you just walk into Commander Lawrence's house and you can have <laughs> yeah. the history of the world in there, you know, right. and just take anything you want. Exactly. Yeah. Walk into People... any of the commander's offices and their walls are lined with books. Absolutely. The knowledge so. is there for the taking once yes. you give them the knowledge to read. Exactly. So Eden 
we walk into this parlor and Eden's father is there apologizing to Nick and the Waterfords. And Rita's very emotional. She has to like excuse herself and leave. And Fred says this quote, she goes, in tragedy lies opportunity. And I'm just like, ugh. And then we discovered that it was Eden's father that turned her in. Okay, so mm-hmm. the first thing I did was I went back to episode 12, rewatched the scene to see if he was there. He is. He is? He is. What? Sitting what? right sitting right next to his uh, other daughter and wife. Who were, like, flipping out, obviously. They were crying. He was just sitting there, stone cold sober. So, originally, my thought was, if he wasn't there, then... He was glad that this was happening. He saw her as an abomination and was mad at her existence or whatever and the way that she was acting. But he was there. Yeah, that's a whole other level because I think, you know, a a listener had commented about, you know, a mother's perspective because the core of this show, the storylines, is about motherhood and the Mm -hmm. things that we do in order to protect and preserve and to obtain you know, our children. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is sort of like the flip side of that, you know, what people don't do in order to protect. Like the men in this season have been so... Like he's a true believer. Yeah, the men in this season have been so ready to be like, top neonatologist is a woman. Sorry, can't do anything to help you. You know, oh, my daughter ran away with someone and now she's ashamed of the family. Oh, let's go drown you. Yeah, it's, you know, there is a precedent for for this. You know, there are, you know, religious, you know, cultures and and society that, you know, if you put shame on the family, it's up to sort of the family to reclaim their honor by Mm -hmm. turning these people in and by, you know. Or by killing them themselves. Themselves, exactly. I'm curious if he thought that by turning her in and showing his true devotion to Gilead that he would get a promotion somehow. Or at least just save their family from punishment. He looks like already, you know, we've already seen one example. I mean, he's wearing gray. They're in a Kano people and they have a farm, but he was wearing a suit, a gray suit, which makes me think that, you know, there must be a ranking within the Kano people and he must be on the higher level of them because he he also owns his own land. Coming there to see, I mean, it's like going to the White House, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to show up to, in, yeah. your, in your overalls. But um, Well, I mean, they own their own farm, mm-hmm. and I guess they were allowed to maintain their property rights. So, I mean, there must be, you know, an upper echelon of the Econo people, and that must be yeah. where he's at. Right. Quite possibly. I mean, we've. Uh, I mean, the theme of this episode also was like what the men will do in order to, to maintain their power, right? Yes. Like cut yeah. their own wives' Absolutely. fingers off I will, I in order will. to maintain that power. And to keep every from anything coming back on themselves. So, I mean, sure, turning her in probably kept the rest of the family safe. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to bet he also wanted a promotion. Totally well, possible. or it may simply have been, as you said, I mean, it, maybe they're just a family of true believers. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in Gilead, but in, you know, evangelical or orthodox um religion in general and he figured that there there are people who actually believe and certainly aunt lydia is one Mm -hmm. of them that punishment is your salvation they're not doing it just to hurt you they're not sadists Mm -hmm. you know that was one of the things we were talking about before we started recording that aunt lydia doesn't hate these girls she loves them they're her girls she's uh she's uh she's like the she thinks of herself as their parent She's an abusive parent, but she's but a parent. 
and I am doing this, this hurts me more than it does you type thing. Um, And speaking of motherhood, I mean, versus, you know, the men in this uh, episode, and I don't want to compare it to fatherhood, because obviously fatherhood and motherhood are different, but I think in our modern sensibilities, they're very, you know, we we have more of a team effort yeah. of, of, of child rearing. So it's I don't want to compare it to like motherhood versus fatherhood. That's not it. But like, so motherhood and, and taking and protecting the children versus the men in power in this episode offered challenges, uh, Fred, and, you know, says, what are you going to do when they come for your daughter? And then they have a freaking slap fest. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? I was like, slap that bitch, bitch being Waterford. Not mm-hmm. I was right. like, you slapped that a oh, When she slapped him, I was shocked. I was amazed. Yes. Like the balls, the cojones that that took. And she told him to fuck off. Yeah. yeah all in one breath. <laughs> and then he just kept talking to her like she didn't say anything. <laughs> he could have been much more abusive. But oh my God, he, he could have this... killed her and would have been justified. He has this moment, you know, where... He says, the mouth of a woman is a deep pit. He that falls therein will suffer. You are the misery of all man. I mean, this is all within theme of this Mm -hmm. storyline, you know, of the Serena, you know, fighting for literacy for the daughters. And and this all feeds into that. This is the underlying attitude, belief that fuels, you know, this council, this oligarchy of men that, you know, suppresses all of the women by taking away not I mean, only their rights, but their knowledge, their ability to gain knowledge. Yeah, the whole episode has this running drumbeat of how terrible things are for girls growing up in Gilead. That's the entire episode. That, but also I thought it was really clever of them, the way that they brought us back around full circle with somebody leading a rebellion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it and then getting, and then it, it it going very badly. Very badly. <laughs> it's like okay, um, Shot and, and down. we're just gonna shoot y'all down so fast. And and then you know because you know we started this season with you know no we are not going to stone Janine to death we're not going to do it we're gonna stand up and ooh we feel empowered now and now we're gonna hang you all no, yeah we, no yeah. we're not really not we're really. not like, really gonna do it we're just down. gonna do all sorts of other things to you and then you know you've got Serena going okay I've I've gotten all the wives together and we we we're coming in here I can't imagine how terrified those men must have been it was one thing to have mm-hmm. one commander's wife in there but when the they doors opened and wives. all the rest of them came Old-wise. in they must have been terrified but it's like all right we're gonna slap this down real quick yeah it's like okay fine. you want to read you want to you want to make us look bad if she cool, hadn't read gone. out of the bible they might have gotten away with what they did a little bit there wouldn't have been a punishment i doubt that they would yeah. have agreed but there wouldn't there have, wouldn't have, have been, been a any, punishment like, yeah because even some of the wives left when she picked that book yeah. up. They were like, oh, yeah. they were like, and this is where I draw the line. <laughs> I'm, out. I'm not losing a finger. Bye. And so we further evolve Rita in this storyline of this episode. You know, Rita's helping uh, June because oh, she got smacked in the face. Yeah. And uh, she's like, I think I broke my hand. And Rita's like, praise be. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. 
<laughs> and uh, Nick comes in, and she's usually pretty mute about all subjects, mm-hmm. but she's like, your girlfriend is a badass. And I just thought that was so cute. It was so amazing. Cool. I love the development of her in this episode yeah. so much, so deserved and so needed. And mm-hmm. uh, June and Nick, uh, there's this scene afterwards where, you know, uh, Holly wakes up. And Nick holds Holly for the first time. And it was so precious. And, and this just whole tender. scene, just so tender. And June was like, I love you. Like, there's, there's, yeah. I mean, obviously, it was it's a family moment. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't love, you know, Luke any less. It's, no, but it's, it's hard it's, to wrap our minds around this concept of, you know, loving two people, whether you believe that's wrong or not. I don't I think mean, that's a hard concept. I mean, she loves them both equally for completely different reasons. Love is complicated, you know. Well, it's complicated. In a, in a, but it's also an infinite resource. I mean, I, I... I can love my best friend choose. and my mother and my father all the same for completely different reasons. Or you can love two people romantically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and... But, you know, you can, we may choose to live monogamously, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that... There's plenty of polygamous relationships out there that are loving and tender. Polyamorous. Yeah, there's Mm -hmm. so many different ways that you can love more than one person. I don't think it's a hard concept to wrap around. I think think getting Luke on board might be hard to to make happen. But, uh, yeah. I don't, no. but I, I don't think <laughs> that's that some season three subject. Matter right there, <laughs> but I don't think happen. that it's actually. Mm-hmm. I I think it's very feasible to understand that she loves both Nick and uh, Luke equally, if not differently. Mm-hmm. Then we move on to this scene um, where the handmaids are doing their daily walk, and they come by the wall, and oof. Mm. Mm. Janine, I was not got a little rough. I was not expecting Isaac and Eden were going to end up on the wall. Obviously, they made an example of. So yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, I would not pretty... have wanted to be the person that had to dive down the bottom of that pool mm. and dig those bloated bodies yeah. up out of the bottom of the pool like and put them up on the wall. Bloated bodies hanging on the wall—that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. Janine sort of has like is is always a romantic, right? She was the one who organized the little wedding in the right. colonies mm-hmm. in these bleak bleak moments janine always has this like hopefulness this this eternal optimism and And mike smith was like you cannot stop janine's shine well there was that one moment uh just before that moment where uh who was it emily that said just or no it was june saying just imagine him uh accidentally falling into a wood chipper and then she like trips over herself janine trips Mm -hmm. over herself and it's like how could you say something so mean that's so uh what was it like guile Awful. awful whatever and like she was like losing it like so negative and upset I think because Janine's moral compass, I mean, obviously she's cracked, but <laughs> Janine's moral compass is that of love. It just manifests itself in a different way than yeah. obviously like Eden did, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, you know, through she she loved her child Charlotte so much, oh. she was willing to jump off a bridge with her. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's messed up that's fucked up no but But that's an epic level of love her vein you know even when she got to her new household and she was like uh, she's just an eternal optimist she's like i don't have to give anyone a blowjob isn't that great and we're all like (laughs) sweetie no you're still being right it's still not it's still not not okay so that's i think where that comes from is like the the suggestion that you can harm another person still like is really not cooler okay um i'll get on board 
Emily is talking about Oliver, their son, mm-hmm. and uh, how Oliver was going to turn seven, and they're like, oh, we'll have a little birthday party, you know, just <laughs> making sort of these uh, kind of fantasies. And right. he was like, oh, I'll just drink some tequila. And he was like, tequila, I miss you most of all. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line. And, like, Eternal for Optimus. a solid minute thereafter, she's just, like, gazing off, like, thinking about tequila. Thinking about tequila. <laughs> so, Emily in this scene was interesting because it was the first time that she was, like, genuinely, like, chill. Yeah. And I almost, like, I wrote happy about something because she said, you know, I'm at least happy and back here with you and I get to have this relationship with you. It's the first time she's had expressed a silver lining about anything. She's she's back with friends. Mm -hmm. Has some sort of sense of safety. Right, Mm because she's with friends and she's in a house that is eclectic and not uptight and standard. Well, I mean, she's kind of fearful of it as we see in the next scene. Mm. She is, for sure, but, you know... She hasn't been forced to do anything yet. And I think because this episode was going to be the first ceremony. So she has no idea how that's going to go. And she's definitely nervous about that, sure. But at the same time, she's got her girls. Mm-hmm. And she knows that at the end of the day, she goes on her walks and she has her friends. Yeah. So she has something. She has something. But mm-hmm. it's rare for her to express right. that she has happy about. Absolutely. Everything. Understandably. Oh, you know? yeah. So in this, like, little mix of groups, right? It's just, like, Janine on one end and then, like, Emily <laughs> on the other end. It's, uh, quite Two amazing. extremes in one group. <laughs> and then so we get the first meeting of the Stepford Wives Ugh. in the next scene. I like They're having a little that. baby play date. And mm-hmm. I just love the evolution. Uh, you know, one thing you got to respect about Serena, she's off character. One thing you got to respect about her is that every time she gets knocked down, she immediately says, what can I do? Yep. What is the next step? What can I do? Because after seeing all that, and then she discovered Eden's Bible, you know, she confided in someone and she was like, what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen? You know, she just doesn't like lie down and take it. That is mm-hmm. not her MO. Yeah. And she is, this is in her skill set, right? Public speaking, organizing, getting people mm-hmm. on board with right. her ideology. She was smart enough not to do it, try to do it by herself. Yes. Absolutely. The last and, time I tried to stand up by she myself. Did it. She wasn't mm-hmm. like outright. She got shot. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was thinking more along the lines of when she sort of took over. For Fred, oh yeah, um, behind, behind the, the last doors, time, the yeah. last time I tried to rebel by myself, I got which fucked up. That that there were there were problems there, so I'm going to come with backup. Yes, this absolutely. Time. So, um, but but she did it smart. She mm-hmm. she didn't straight up talk about Eden. She mm-hmm. didn't straight up talk about anything really specific. She was kind of vague and like, hey girl, like how. How you think about this? And she yeah, was just yeah. like, I've got thoughts. Mm-hmm. Do you think anyone else has thoughts? I think it's there. Like, they were very coy the way they were talking mm-hmm. and very vague. Vague enough that nothing could be held against either of them, but they still knew that they were having a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think this is also, like, putting out the feelers because we've established throughout season one, like, the handmaids didn't know who they could trust. Right. And now they the have a sense. The wives don't either. Yeah. And the, and the wives ha- are in the same spot The now. handmaids now have a sense of who they can trust. Right. And they have this sisterhood. They've built it, right? Mm-hmm. Through better and worse. And it's through stronger. A lot of shit. And so the wise haven't had an opportunity to do that And yet. now we're finally doing it. We've got yeah. the feelers going out, and now she's suddenly getting a coalition of sorts built together. I did. I put the coalition of mothers. <laughs> That's what I put. Mm-hmm. The coalition of wives. 
Um, and then we it. bounce back to Emily's first ceremony, and there's a music playing, and I had to look it up. It's called Ichiku Park. Mm-hmm. Small faces. I yeah, I love the small faces. But you, you see the anxiety building because she doesn't know music. the what is happening here. She's and definitely I think nervous. Kay, Kay was expressing this before. And she was started. alone in the room with him, not following protocol. Like, mm-hmm. that was nerve Where is yeah. everybody else? Yeah. Yes. There's normally a ritual to this. Why is there this whacked out music playing? Where is everybody? Yeah, because it's supposed to be What is going to ha- What, what kind first. of pervs are these people? Yeah. She's supposed to be first on the on her knees, and mm-hmm. then in comes... Uh, any Martha's, the yeah, the staff. Mm-hmm. So Martha's and guardian, and then guardians. the wife, and then, then the wife, the... and then the commander has to knock and be allowed in by the wife. Right? There's a process here, and just all of it's out the window, which is not surprising in this house. Yeah, no, not at all. So Emily's scared, and she is trying to find something to defend herself with, and she finds a knife. So she hides it. And uh, so Commander Lawrence comes in and uh, she's calling for Cora to get him a glass of orange juice. And she's like, where, where is Cora? And he's like, I don't know. And he goes, how am I supposed to motivate employees if I can't leverage salaries? Hartsburg, <laughs> am I right? I love it so much. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to get into a whole lot. You can Google it. But Hertzberg basically, you know, had this theory of uh, motivation, hygiene mm-hmm. theory about right. how different ways to motivate. But the fact that he like created that. the economy and yes, is now making absolutely. economy jokes is hysterical. It's an economy joke. Oh, God. <laughs> and so he says, you know, there's no sermon. Get up. Get out. Go to your room. I don't want to do this you. with you. Get out. Get out. Go out of here. It's fine. So we're not quite sure still. Like, okay, that's great. He has compassion. He's not going to, like, force, you know, Emily to do the ceremony. I that's guess he, like, cool. doesn't do ceremonies. We still, like, don't know what you're all about, but, like, step in the right direction. Like, way to be a good guy, Josh. So we get to this big scene in Serena and the council. And the thing that was striking to me in the cinematography, I mean, just just gorgeous in this episode. It really was. But this giant chamber with, like, the two spots spotlights coming down on Serena yeah. and like the banners it was very it was very reminiscent of the Reich mm-hmm. I was definitely thinking of that that's the aesthetic I got it was very it's like, oh, well, I was ready suddenly, to throw a hand up in the air that's what it felt like suddenly we're on uh, Man in the High Castle yep. yes yeah. yes yeah. very much like so so they propose this amendment and all the wives file in and you can just see the like oh shit on all of the <laughs> and Serena no but I like that first comment like Waterford did you forget your lunch <laughs> Yeah, it's so like, it's so dick. degrading and like humiliating and and of course, you know, it looks like Fred is kind of in the middle of the table. I mean, that's usually mm-hmm. where the high points of power are, so he's kind of in the middle ish mm-hmm. of the I table. I kind of got the idea that he was wasn't he sitting to the left of the guy in power and the guy in power is the the commander with Angela? The daughter Angela. Oh, Putnam. I think he's also pretty high ranking, but I don't think that he's he's not in charge. He's not they, in charge. They, they cut. They cut or, a hand no, off uh, him. Warren. Uh, Warren off was him. the center, wasn't he? So I don't know who's in the center, but he was definitely no. close to the center. But he wasn't the center. So you know they're proposing this. You know that you know we want and phrasing it in terms of like you know if our aim is to be you know serving God. And I, we feel that our daughter should also be able to serve God by reading the Bible and knowing his word. And so here's the stark difference where it's like throughout this season, we know that this is not about God. This is about mm-hmm. the council of people sitting at this table, maintaining and holding their power over everybody else and making the world in their image. It's not about and God. S- well... Except that they're using God to do it. Exactly. God wants us 
to be in charge. Yes. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. So Serena, as like, I always, I wrote here, Serena always has a flair for the dramatic. She's, <laughs> she but she's a, good at it. She's so good at it. And usually it's pretty effective, but here it did not work out for her It was favor. effective, but not in the way she wanted it to be. So she reads from Eden's Bible, and the wives begin to leave, right? They're like, not <laughs> for this. Not, not they look around like. There were just a few. Mm-hmm. Most of them stayed. Some of them yeah. lo- looked around, and they were like, don't do this, don't do this. And then they. They had that oh shit moment, and they some of them started filing out, but the rest were like, oh, we're going to let this play out, see what happens. So afterwards, they're sort of in the antechamber, you know, and they're chatting, and I I love this moment because even myself, we tend to write off, you know, and I called them Stepford Wives, like, the, you can, you know, I tend to, you tend to write off this group of women as, like, they're not freaking intelligent, you know, even though we know Serena is extremely educated and intelligent, and Serena says, um, be bold, and the mighty will come to your aid, and then the wives are like, is that Goethe? And then, <sighs> you know, it's, it's so it's, like, obviously, this is a class of very educated women, and mm-hmm. you take that for granted and so i thought that was interesting so that uh, quote is from basil king yeah and then serena comes and is get gets taken away and uh, is pleading with fred because i think serena knows what's coming she knows what the punishment is. she knows why she's being dragged away emily would not have mentioned it last episode you know it's 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 like Mm -hmm. that gun again and being introduced in uh in act one you know you don't you don't bring up something like do you know what the, the penalty is, for, exactly. for reading? Yeah, you lose a finger. Well, there it is. So the next scene is Aunt Lydia comes to visit to check up on Emily because it was the night of their first ceremony. Quote, and we were quote. all pretty nervous. And so she said that Commander Lawrence <laughs> said it went splendidly. <laughs> so Commander Lawrence covered and told Aunt Lydia that they're doing the ceremony even though they're not. And Aunt Lydia has this, we talked about how Aunt Lydia, you know, has this unconditional, unconditional love, but Aunt Lydia still is like pretty pissed at Emily for causing so much trouble. She (laughs) says, you know, God is merciful, even for the most perverse and degenerate of his flock. And I think if there's anything that describes how Aunt Lydia feels, it's that God is merciful, even for the most diverse and degenerate of his flock. Mm -hmm. It's just like this extreme dichotomy of like, of course, God's love is endless. And merciful even for those that but, suck, but suck. <laughs> and she's so mean there's this moment in the um if you watch the inside the episode if you watch it on hulu yeah where one of the producers says or emily says um alexis bladell that even just like the sight and sound of aunt lydia's voice just sends makes emily off rage. the edge just like just throws makes her, her into a rage blood boil and so she takes the knife that she's hidden and stabs Aunt Lydia in the back. And as soon as it happened, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this episode is crazy. Oh my God. This episode is crazy. Oh man. I was definitely Uh, yelling and my mom just looked at me and she was like, why are you yelling? (laughs) And I was like, because this is epic. And so she pushes her down the stairs. So she... You know, and then Cora is down there, up. and she's sort of deciding what to do because I had for a second that I was like, she is going to take that knife out and <laughs> kill Aunt Lydia, and she might have almost done it. But then Cora comes in and she's like, puts her in her room. She's like, oh, what have you done? Like this is like the most inconvenient thing in the entire world. I was not planning on cleaning this floor today. How dare you? And so I love this. You know, the show 
does a great job of featuring these actors and, and, and their emotions. And there's just this mix of emotions of this like sort of crazy maniacal laughter all the way until like she starts freaking out and she is sobbing in a corner. Um, and it's just a really great scene. I mean, Alexis Bledel has just has such a fantastic performance in, in, in throughout season one and season two. And so it's nice to see her featured again, like in this capacity. And so we get back to the Waterfords and Serena's hand is bandaged and she's obviously looking like she'd been through some trauma because she has. She yeah. looks very traumatized. And Alfred, you know, goes into this mode of comforting her. And we always talk about how Serena and Alfred are like frenemies. frenemies. And so they have a lot of animosity, but there's also a I- great deal of care because they've worked on building that relationship. And this is right. obviously... There's been a even lot for, there. Even for the person that you hate. Like, this is a pretty heinous thing to happen. This is more than, like, Shot of Florida, where you're like, I mean, oh, ha-ha, they, like, tripped know, and fell, where you can, like, feel good about something bad happening to someone you don't like. Like, this is a gross mutilation of someone for the offense of reading. And so she goes and like so, actively comforts her. I will say when Serena walks in there and Fred's putting her in her room to lay her down mm-hmm. into the bed, I did notice that you ever notice that Serena's hair is perfect, mm-hmm. never a hair stray. And in this one moment, like she looked like she had bed head. Like mm-hmm. it was very disheveled, like not a single hair was where it needed to be. Her bun was falling apart and she just was numb. She looked numb. And I kind of got the feeling that that was one of those moments that June was going to go up and like hold her. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised that all she did was sit there. I really thought June was going to put an arm around her or something, but I'm a little bit disappointed that that didn't happen. But even so, like it was a tender connection that they experienced, you know, saying what happened, what did they do to you? And then looking at the cut and that cut looked a little bit rougher than anything else. Like Commander uh, uh, Putnam, Mm -hmm. uh, Warren Putnam, when his hand was cut off, it was very like highly technical and surgical. And this looked a little bit more rough. Yeah, and uh, so I feel like the handhold was like a baby step because I think this is maybe the first time that they've, you know, touched each other in an affectionate way as friends. Probably. So, I mean, my personal response would be to, you know, put a hand around, uh, arm around someone and right. comfort them and hug them. But that's what it for felt the like. evolution of this relationship, it, made it sense. was like, yeah, baby steps. So then Alfred goes to the kitchen, and Waterford is like, where the hell's Rita? <laughs> no one knows where any of no, them are. Where, where all, the, Marthas. all the Marthas are missing. <laughs> and so, you know, Alfred challenges him again. Even after she got slapped the shit out of, she does not care anymore. And she slaps him back. And she says, you know, well, how could you let them do that to her? And Waterford very firmly says, you know, we all have roles to play and Serena needed to be reminded of hers. Which is so tragic because it's like, you know, we've seen this journey of Fred, you know, from being, you know, a very doting, you know, husband to her pre-Gilead, you know, very, a lot of care and, you know, cares so much about her, a lot of love, a lot of intimacy, a lot of passion to this very cold, calculating person that would do this to their own wife in order to preserve his, you know, status and standing within the, the Gilead Council. And... 
at every turn. I feel like every scene Waterford has with Alfred just turns like gross. gross. Because, you know, an obedient handmaid can stay in this house. You know, rules can be bent for a high-ranking commander. So why couldn't you bend the rules to not have your wife's finger cut off? So this scene... Because this serves you and... You know, to have the handmaid right. stay, to have it's Jean at his stay. benefit. It's your his benefit, and the it, cutting off the finger was also for his benefit because right. he gets to maintain face after being kind of humiliated in the chamber. Absolutely. So, so this okay, this entire scene, this gross, horrifying scene of him talking to her like this and the things that he's saying, it made me think back to the epilogue. So, in the epilogue, um, there were there was one or two paragraphs specifically where they're talking about how how in the epilogue they're talking about you know how you've got the first period you got the middle period and you got the final period um and in between all of those there's purges Mm -hmm. um and how they keep talking about how fred waterford you know made all these concessions and uh would bend the rules and was very free with interpretation of law and how the middle period they're much more strict Mm -hmm. and everyone was much more afraid Um, more pious uh, yes and everyone was afraid to get caught and they were they were you know very on top of the rules whereas right now it seems like a lot of the commanders are willing to bend and break and rewrite rules as they see fit for their own families Mm -hmm. and this is what he's doing he's i feel like this is one of those moments that's going to be used against him to his ultimate downfall, the way that the epilogue writes. Yeah. Saying that this is the reason that he ends up on the fucking wall is because he makes all these concessions and breaks all these rules for his own benefit. And he tempts her again with Hannah. He was like, oh, I can arrange more visits to Hannah, even though it didn't work out. The first visit with Hannah landed them in such deep shit. And he was <laughs> like, I can do that again. And like, what? You are nuts. He's not you even thinking nuts. straight. You're nuts. All he wants is her to stay there, and he's not thinking to straight. Yeah, yeah, that's he likes her. He th- yes. finds her attractive. The other person that found her attractive uh, was Commander Grinnell. Mm-hmm. He was the one that walked in to their home um, and said, you know, oh, she's very attractive, isn't she? Maybe I should get her next. Mm-hmm. You know, like that mm-hmm. creeper. I think he's actually the one that's um, at the center of the... Possibly. The, the the council. The council. In the center of the room. I think it's Commander Grinnell. That does make sense because, I mean, With there Fred had to be a high-ranking right-hand officer man. after uh, Price. Price was blown up. And so it's probably Grinnell scene. with Fred at his side. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't originally used to be Fred because Fred has gone through several promotions since, you know, yes. lots of things have happened this season. Especially after, in, uh, with the child, he got another promotion in a bigger office. So this whole scene is just gross. I no, mean, the it's whole just thing's like disgusting. Really, like every scene, every moment you get alone with her, this is what the conversation turns And then she to. looks at him, she's like, fuck you. And he was like, just think about it. Let me know what you think. So then, in contrast, we come to Commander Lawrence, and <laughs> she's taking, he's taking Emily into the car, and freaking Eleanor oh Lawrence, my God. So goes, oh, I, I get to say goodbye. It was nice knowing you. I was just <laughs> like, this woman is cracked. Like, she's, oh my God, she's okay with him killing a handmaid? Like, what is happening right now? 
And they get into the car, and she goes, are It's you, a really nice car, first of all. Is, or is she, he starts playing uh, Walking on Broken Glass by Annie Lennox, and just the lyrics just underscores her, like, <gasps> emotional trauma of, like, walking on broken glass. Like, it's just, it was so ironic, and she just, like, finally can't take it anymore. She Can we please like, turn this I, off? I, I cannot, I cannot. And then he was like, oh, I guess you don't like music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do love this little line that he throws in, though, you know, in relation to, you know, her stabbing Aunt Lydia, because... Must be so proud of yourself. Just like so pleased. <laughs> and you know, I think on some level Emily was in the moment right okay, after she, she definitely did it. was. It that that moment after where we watched her and note that there's a mirror in her bedroom. Like that's uncommon for a handmaid to have a mirror. Oh yeah, because they can be used as weapons. Or yeah, or they can see themselves, themselves and they're not supposed to be vain. Mm. Well, anyways, so there's a mirror in there and that's against the rules. And she sees it, and she thinks about what she did and the consequences that can come thereafter, and then she starts panicking. She's genuinely afraid, and I don't think that this is a turn that I wasn't expecting emotionally from her. I didn't either. Because I think the unpredictability of Lawrence, we've talked about it last episode and more this episode, that that really throws her off. Because if she was being taken away by some guardians, she would have been like, F you all, I don't. But there's something that has fundamentally shifted with her. Because she's unpredictable where she has this fear if she like truly does not know where this is going and it could be worse than death honestly right because she's been through some of that already you know crawls up in the corner and starts going like rocking back and forth and crying because she's genuinely terrified she doesn't know what's going to happen next so the next is we have the big long escape main part of this episode and so Alfred is in the nursery nursing uh holly nicole i'm trying to get her to burp. and so she notices that there's something happening there's like sirens and flashy things and then there's like literally across the street a house on fire quite literally and so you know they're trying to put out the fire there's you know a bunch of guardians a bunch of fire trucks everyone's distracted by the fire it was literally and you catch on pretty quick like this is meant to be a distraction it was an orchestrated event and uh, Nick is in on it. Yeah. I totally wrote that too in my notes. Nick is in on it. And so Rita comes in and says, I can get you and the baby out, but you have to get your shoes and you have to leave now. And so she gets everything ready and they leave. And she's like, well, who, what, who am I, who's going to come get me? And she goes, Martha's friends. Yep. And so we cut to Fred's office and he's looking at maps. So we talked about okay, maps last time. We took I took a picture of the map mm-hmm. and I tried to blow it up and it just got blurry. Yeah, you can't see a whole lot, but there is like the so, contiguous United States which we know yeah, but is a there's part different of colors. Gilead. So I mean it makes sense that you would segment your country in some way in some yeah, regionality. But I would have thought that the, it would have all stayed red. So right now, like the way it looked, there were reds, red on the outskirts of the country. I think that's Mayday. I think that's like representative of like where the resistance is hottest. Okay. Because it doesn't make sense that it they would have sense. the whole red thing and then they wouldn't. Yeah, so, so I think the inside they must is... be like divi- divided into divisions or sections or uh, I don't know, states. Yeah, like colonies. Yeah, because they're not exactly. Districts. Yes. I think that's what they call them as districts. They are districts. Thank you. So they're segmented into districts, and then, you know, there's actually little um, that hazard symbol, like nuclear symbol. So right. there's a couple nuclear sites where we figured that's where the colonies Those might are, be. Those are where, where different locations up. are of colonies, yes. And 
there's red on the edges that you know is possibly uh, a mayday thing there's uh, i tried to or resistance like, locations zoom or something. in to like see to read anything it gets so and you blurry really can't you really i can't put on it. high resolution and i got very little out of it so he notices that there's something happening so uh he goes he goes where's nick and he goes i don't know yeah. And so he knows that something is up. And I just love, I took a, a screen grab of Rita's look to <laughs> Waterford, and it's just so delicious. Yeah. And just, I, I just want to appreciate Rita for, for this episode. Because I love it's Rita, been period. a long time coming. And she's always had these quick little snippets, and mm-hmm. we get quick little glur- like blurbs of vision of what she is and what she's about and her hilariousness mm-hmm. is just wonderful but this we really got a better sense of her this episode and i really appreciate that i think i mean eden was really the catalyst that like broke her open yes absolutely. where she was like this is a child yeah. and the thought of holly nicole Growing up in this sort of world and the same thing happened to her. I mean, all all of the women in this episode are on the same page. You know, ever since Eden, Rita's thinking about it, Alfred is thinking about it, Serena is thinking about it, even though at first in the episode she was a little in denial. Yeah, but but she gave in. but, But the core of it is... You know, they're concerned about the well-being of this baby growing up in Gilead. So, I have to say that when nobody was able to find any of their Marthas. Yes. <laughs> um, well, the first thing that came to mind was this really odd little film that came out in the early 2000s called A Day Without a Mexican. Yes. Um, where just suddenly everybody in Southern California wakes up and there are no Mexican or Mexican-Americans anywhere. They've just all gone poof and disappeared. Um, and nobody knows where they've gone. My first thought was they just all took off, but then Cora came back. So clearly she wasn't gone, gone. Um, when it became clear what it was that was going on, that they had been off organizing this whole thing, it just made perfect sense to me because who else could do it? They're the only group of women that nobody pays that much attention to. Yep. They're invisible. Yep. Yep. Nobody cares enough about them to ride herd over them. The wives are too carefully watched. The handmaids are too way too carefully monitored. Nobody is monitoring the Martha. Yep. They're they the just all assume. I mean, I assume also there's guardians sort of everywhere kind of watching, but yeah, the account, the kind of scrutiny that the handmaids get is definitely much more amped up than what the Marthas get for sure. Or even the wives. I mean, they're supposed mm-hmm. to be freer, but they're not. Mm-hmm. So it just made perfect sense to me that this, the only people who could organize something like this would be the Marthas. They get um, free reign to do whatever they need to to keep the house going. Exactly. And so, I mean, there are snippets, like, it's in the source material, you know, oh, we trade between the Martha's household. I had to trade her a whole 
you know, thing of butter for some honey. And so, so, so there is like a little they traded barter. a whole lot of cheese for cinnamon. Like, yeah. So there, there's yeah. like bartering happening between them. They talk to each other. There, there is a community there. We just don't get a whole glimpse of it. And also Martha's are also every time that there's some sort of event or social thing happening at another uh, wives. They house, run it. They are all together. They bring their Martha's with them and they all sort of as a community. Work together. Um, work together. Make so it all happen. They're very, very familiar with each other, so it makes sense that they have this strong sense of community. Right. Unless the aunts did it, and they weren't gonna. No, absolutely not. They're too close to the the higher echelons of power. They're mm-hmm. not going to give that up. Yeah. So it would have to be the Marthas. Mm-hmm. That was just amazing. Yeah. I, I, I sat there, and there were tears rolling down my cheeks that Aww. entire scene. That's so sweet. Yeah, it was hard for me to, like, breathe during that entire mm-hmm. scene. It was hard. I was really, I didn't know how, it, because at any point, you're like, God, this all can just, like, go to shit. But right? <laughs> it could, they but, made the fact it. That, but the fact that they just they just kept showing up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of they these people, plan. these people did not know her. Mm-hmm. These were not people who were, like, but they all knew her friends name. of hers. Well, because they had been told. They were told, right. That if you say her name... That's that's the way that she will know that, that she know. can trust you because not everybody knows her name. I also love the Godspeed because that's come up a few times, mm-hmm. and so I think that seems to be a a moniker, like a signature a kind thing, of thing for of, them. Of yeah, May Day. Um, which um, there's definitely an organization here at large. We don't have that much information on, but right. And did anybody else notice that one of the Marthas looked like our 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 <laughs> main host over here? <laughs> she did. <laughs> The one that, like, like, took sister. her through the reeds. Yeah. I was like, did Donna do a, a co-star <laughs> on this show and not tell no, us? And then I looked closer Donna. and I was like, nah. I would have moved to Canada. <laughs> anything. Um, and so I just love that, you know, Amanda Bruegel and <laughs> the Marthas and Rita especially finally get this great payoff in, in such a lovely way. I'm so happy about that. And so Fred goes into Alfred's room to look for her, and it's just scratched <laughs> into the wall. Is oh my god! Cardboard. I was laughing so hard; it was like a cackle. Oh my god! It was amazing that moment. And we have to remember that that was etched <laughs> in on the inside of the closet, and then it was shaved away, and then it was shaved away. So this is like a return of that, and so. Waterford sees Nick because Nick has come up the stairs. Yes. And he goes, Hey, we need to secure this. Alfred is gone. Nicole is gone. And Nick, like, puts his hand on his shoulder, <laughs> other hand on the gun, and goes, I really think that it's safer for you up here. <laughs> I really think you should stay up here. And Waterford gets to just like, oh, Nick is not loyal. And that is the first time where he's like, because even after the whole, you know, Nick getting shot thing, and he's still like totally clueless Completely. about the intentions of the people around him. He just thinks everybody exists to serve him. Like you were like nuts. So delusional. <laughs> so that was like a great payoff moment because ever since that scene, ever since Holly's been born, it's been little ways to dig and dig and dig at Nick, you know, putting up, making him put up the family portrait. And, you know, you have so right. much opportunity. One day you'll have your own family. It's just like all these little ways that he reminds him that he's the one with the baby and it's his baby. And, you know, he's the one that holds the power. And so this was a great power reversal moment but for see, Nick. It makes me concerned, though, because going forward, like, Nick's kind of 
fucked. Unless yeah. he can pull off like a switcheroo and somehow blame Fred. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's an eye, so he has friends. I mean, after all, he did pull off the first escape. So I don't know. We'll have to see on what he does, whether or not he can like change the story around enough on Fred and be believed because he's an eye. Yeah. Or if he's completely royally screwed. It it totally depends. I mean, I mean, we know that you know if this was unsuccessful, if he can get the escape n- was unsuccessful, if he can Nick get would multiple eyes to corroborate whatever he says, then Fred's down. Yeah, I think that'd be easy enough because we know there's a ton of eyes that are in Mayday. Yes, we already know that. We already know fact. that. So I mean, it just depends on how he handles it on what's going to happen to Fred and Nick because both of them are in a crosshair right now. So because of what Nick is doing. Alfred is at, so Alfred is at the edge of the garden, and it happens to be next to the greenhouse, and so finally a Martha shows up to escort her out and, and help her start the escape. She's hiding in the shadows. And so Serena comes out and notices that they're leaving, and this is where we really get that, like, this trauma <sighs> has affected Serena yeah. in a really big way, because she's sort of, like, in the vein of, like, where Janine was. Yes. We're like, oh, she is not doing well. Uh-uh. In, in her mental state and but you know the whole incident with the finger and everything just the way that it went down has really kind of put her in a changed state a changed mental and emotional state but i will say i was a bit surprised like i i I saw her go out there i saw her be concerned about her child and there was a little bit of a pushback at first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where she's like, give me my child back. This is all I have to live for. And she basically says that. Mm-hmm. She was like, I gave up everything to have a child. This is all I get. And you're taking my child away from me. But then, you know, they, they, they had a heart to heart. It was a come to Jesus moment. And she came around, which surprised me. I, I wasn't really... sure which way that was going to go. I mean, we had talked about the end of episode 12, how Serena had done everything up until the last moments of the episode for herself. Yep. She thought she was doing it for the betterment of her child, but it was extremely selfish. And it wasn't until the end she realized she needed to do whatever was necessary for the betterment of Nicole Holly. Yeah. And... So this, I think she's already on that train of thought. And, you know, her she was more easily swayed because of the trauma she recently went through. Right. And offered reasons with her. You know, she cannot grow up here because this is yeah. such a dangerous place for this this baby to grow up in because anything can happen that Gilead will just execute her for and there's nothing that anybody can do. It was a very honest conversation between the two characters. And I just love that this goodbye scene because we knew at some point that, I don't know if we knew, but at some point if Holly Nicole was managed to be taken out of the Waterford house and brought to safety out of Gilead, that that would be completely devastating to Serena. So I love the uh, closure that they gave to Serena in saying goodbye and letting go of Nicole Holly. Yeah. You know, and all things considered, you know, she considers this baby hers, you know, you know, offered as obviously the surrogate, not by choice, but everything for the last, you know, few years, she's been wanting a baby. And ever since... Offred has been in the house ever since Offred got pregnant. And everything in her soul and spirit, you know, this is my baby, this is my baby. So she's extremely emotionally invested. And, and so Offred for her understands. to get... Offred gave her that moment. Like, you, you're you allowed to say goodbye. And uh, so for her to 
be able to say goodbye was I think really touching and beautiful it really was a tender moment and because she was it was really everything Serena stripped away of herself to be able to do that there is nothing about old Serena that would have allowed her to say goodbye like that we needed Eden to die we needed her finger to be cut off Mm -hmm. in order for this to happen yeah absolutely if it wasn't for both of those we would not be where we are right now and so as Offred is going with a baby, you know, Offred has this really tender moment too, you know, blessings on you, Serena. Again, this is an extremely fraught yeah. relationship. There is so much bad blood there between them. But at the end of the day, what the unites love them for, is the love for their child. Exactly. And so we get to the Martha network and, you know, uh, we get to the end of this long sequence and she takes out the photo of Hannah that she had managed to grab before she left the Waterford house. And she's having this really tender memory of of Hannah of singing to her. Singing some sort of lullaby that I've never heard before. And so she tucks the picture into the baby's blanket. And I said, oh, she's going she's gonna to stay behind for Hannah. See, I didn't see that coming. I did. And, but at the, the show at the very end, these last few minutes, she, we went back and forth. We really did not know. I personally did not know which way she was going to go. But that was the first signifier. I was like, oh, she's going to stay. And she says, you know, maybe you'll meet her one day. And, and she, she said, you to, will. You're going to meet her one day. We see the lights flashing. So there's a car in that little tunnel. And Commander Lawrence comes out. <laughs> and I about lost my shit. I was so I surprised. lost it. I was so surprised. Had no I, idea. I did not see that coming. It was <laughs> such a Came great, it was such a great full circle moment, you know, and I, I just, I loved that because we were very suspicious of him and his intentions. Oh, we had no yeah. idea where this was going. I mean, I was convinced that he was going to use Emily to get some knowledge on how to fix the colonies faster. And so he lets Emily go and, you know, there's another, you know, guardian van, the same one as the like Mayday the guardian of, van. Yep. Uh, of season one. <laughs> I love all these little things that Commander Lawrence says. Have a nice life. <laughs> Don't get caught. Don't do drugs. Keep away from drugs. <laughs> it's just it, it was it was a nice turn of events. And it was, I think, a lovely character. This, like, from, you know, the, the last episode to this episode, this 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 world that Bradley Whitford has built with Commander Lawrence is just really so interesting mm-hmm. and really, at the end, ended up turning being so delightful. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And so we have this moment where, oh, okay, so June's going to go. So she gets in the van, and she gives Emily the baby. And June says, call her Nicole. Yeah. And I thought that was such a lovely turn because she's honoring the love that Serena has for Nicole. And even though all of everything that they've been through, everything Serena's done to get to this point, she recognizes this the humanity in Serena. Yes. And which I think at the end of the day makes June such a compelling character is that throughout everything, you know, the humanity is at the core. She had a chance to take Fred and Serena out at the house uh, when she got left there. She had an opportunity. She didn't take it. It's it's not her. She recognizes her own humanity and not being able to do that. You know, she gave Serena, you know, comfort when Serena needed it, mm-hmm. despite everything Serena has 
explicitly done to her. She, you know, it's like this well of compassion in June that's also met with a very hard and realistic and pragmatic edge. But in this moment, she could choose to name the child Holly, Mm -hmm. Nicole, or both. Mm -hmm. She chose Nicole, and Nicole, as spelt from the French, is people's victory. This is a victory moment, a victorious moment for her to get her child to safety. Absolutely. And, you know, there's this closure moment of, you know, tell her I love her. And so Emily is now the charge of Nicole, you know, with responsibility uh, to get Emily to Junior Luke or, you know, raise Nicole on her own if she's not able to find, I think you with, know, Luke with and Moira. The- picture of hannah mm-hmm. she might be reunited with the others because of that picture yeah absolutely It'll probably be the connecting factor that helps her find them and so we have a, a switching moment here you know in her final voiceover you know i ha- can say goodbye to one daughter and um i'm not gonna leave hannah behind because that was a huge question between seasons one and two if june got out you know luke Would is also out what Moira about hannah out, how do we go back and get Hannah? That was a really make... big question. And and throughout season two also, there, June has had a lot of conversations with herself of making peace with that Hannah was going to grow up in Gilead. And so we haven't touched a whole lot about, you know, the attitudes of all of the women in this Gilead world having, freaking out really about say, though, the but... growing up of 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 girls in this society and we're so focused on the baby because it's so present but you know you also have to think of hannah she's gonna almost be of an age where she's gonna get married off the way that eden was i in that moment where she handed over nicole and stayed back to go get hannah ah, i got mad Mm -hmm. i got mad at her Mm mm-hmm because of all the moments that you've had to get out of here, this was the one that was secure. Mm-hmm. This one was right passage. This one was going to succeed. It was set up by an entire institute of people, a grand coalition that had fucking shit in order. There was at least six fires set by probably Martha's mm-hmm. and eyes mm-hmm. across the city mm-hmm. burning to get mm-hmm. everyone's attention and you had every ability to get out of Gilead and you stayed back. You had a sure shot out of everything you've put yourself through and all the times you tried to get out of here. This is a sure shot. A year ago you would have taken it. But she's now at the moment where she's going to go get Hannah. In the inside the episode, you know, the the interviews with the castmates about this episode and it's about, you know, she, you know, is able to get one daughter out. You know, she's going to say goodbye yeah. to to Nicole, but she can't bring herself to say goodbye to Hannah quite yet. Like she has to, you know, she can't leave Hannah without a parent. And it's still ugh. so there is this thing in there that they talk about this like hopelessness you know gilead is extremely hopeless yes and in that there is so much selflessness you know martha's being extremely selfless you know june is extremely selfless of herself because she could have preserved her life but i think she's come to a conclusion that the preservation of her life isn't as important as the preservation of the life of her daughters so she's managed to get nicole out and she cannot stand by knowing that 
Hannah is still in Gilead, knowing all of the very clear and present dangers that Our is in the, in, in the future for Hannah. So I mean, they named her Agnes. We all kind of see what's going to happen there, because, I mean, we've looked into her name in the Bible. Yeah. So a lot of things in this episode were just so glorious. They were, they were kind of, like, uplifting. And then we had that moment where she stays back, you know, she's like, but, but, ugh. And but she, we know that uh, there is going to be more to come from her because she has that moment where she switches gears. Yes, and she comes up. And I wrote "Dangerous June." She's definitely going to find a way. Yeah, she's fully back. She's definitely going to find a way to be subversive and be part of May Day and in what capacity she's going to go back for Hannah. I mean, the only reason she stayed behind is to is to get Hannah. Yep. So that's going to grab her and go. The main arc of season three. Um, you know, Kay had to cut out a, a little bit early for an obligation, but she was talking to me before we started recording that, you know, she, <laughs> you know, how many times do people have to set up a rescue for you and you didn't go for the second time? So, right? so this is the second time that, you know, they've orchestrated for you to escape and you didn't go. You didn't follow instructions. Kills me. Um, so I totally get that. This is And the second time she doesn't follow instructions. Yeah, extremely bittersweet. Ugh. And, you know, we will be very interested in what June has to, to do in season three. And I really believe that season three is going to be all about the downfall of Gilead. How do we dismantle well, this so, regime? I don't know. I mean, that's possible, but... If we look at the epilogue, you know, this is the only the first Reich, and there's, what, three levels. Um, and the second one, they're much more complicit. And, you know, I think it's entirely possible that we could be pulling a Grey's Anatomy, where once she does get Hannah and herself out and into Canada and reunited with her family, that they become a side point, and we focus on other characters that have been, you know, minuscule in the background, but and watch their characters develop and go through the second level of Gilead after another purge, and you know, I think there's, I think there's room for development and growth on different levels and on different uh, timelines, uh, b- different people's lives, and I think this can go on for as many seasons as they want until they ultimately do destroy Gilead. If they do d- destroy Gilead before. Um, you know, they have a great purge and everyone becomes complicit and there's a lot of different side things going on and side wars. They can bring this into the international sphere and like mm-hmm. really get into the politics and the UN and annexation and whether or not they're going to be globally recognized. Like they can really turn this political uh, kind of like a house of cards kind of concept. Yeah. But I mean, we got options. If they want to keep it going, they can. And I can see plenty of ways for them to do it. Or they can go ahead and crumble Gilead. Mm-hmm. But I think they have enough of a falling that they're not going to do that in season three. They're not going to kill it off that quickly. I mean, I'm in two camps. Like, I love this show so much it could go on for eternity. I also love this show so much that I would hate for it to go down like The Lost Path or, you know, any series where it just sort of really loses steam after a while because you're just inventing storylines to invent them and not to serve the world or the characters. Yeah, but I think so the I writers would, are so good that that's not going to be a thing. Uh, they are extremely talented, I so who knows. But I would rather the show end on a strong high note and said what has needed to say in the 
appropriate amount of time without dragging anything out like so the pacing of this entire season has been pretty good there have been a couple slower spots there have been a couple episodes that right we didn't like but on the whole i mean there are a whole lot of loose ends right we've gotten to hit pretty much every major group yeah i mean that's my preference to you know end strong and not get the storyline or character lines weak and convoluted convoluted it's it's not my thing so you know if they extend it to a season four and they can still do that four or five whatever but that is just my personal opinion when it comes <laughs> to shows and so there you go so i had invited uh, people who like our facebook page to send me comments since you know this is like our last recording yeah. for a little bit you know we'll come back and you know sort of do another post mortem uh and I will be doing a lecture series and reaching out to people with different uh, types of expertise in different fields and talking about the show in relation to that. And I'll bring back comments as they come in. We'll, I'll, I'll go through and discuss them as they roll in throughout the summer. Um, so Shay says, you know, I almost died at the end. Well, Fred has <laughs> lost all respect from everyone except his fellow commanders. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't know. Th- that's pretty questionable if you ask me. Although... Uh... A lot of the commanders have some pretty severe transgressions, and they're pretty still high-ranking. Right. So you're saying like I, Warren Like Putnam, we said, uh, in the epilogue, they say that... Hand. <laughs> <laughs> in the epilogue, they talk about all the commanders of the first uh, wave mm-hmm. and how they're all guilty and all have all these transgressions, right. and they all got away with it until the purge. Yep. Um, Amy says, you know, I like that they added even more depth to Eden's storyline and used it to ignite a new storyline with the conversation between June and Rita and the discovery of the Bible. I'd expected they would move on after the last episode because it seemed like there would be plenty of other material to cover in the finale. Mm -hmm. I have loved the Joseph Lawrence character and hope that this isn't the last we see of him. I don't think it is. I mean, he's I a really pretty hope not. I love him. Commander. Fantastic actor. Fantastic. If he was able to help Emily get out, it is possible he's connected to the Resistance. A commander connected to the Resistance? Mm. I kind of wonder if he ended up as part of the founding of Gilead because he realized that this was happening with or without him, and he might as well get in as a commander and maintain some freedom. Fair enough. Fair enough. I really wanted to learn more about his background and his role in the founding of Gilead. They did a really good job of connecting Emily and June's paths at the end without yes. revealing that connection until the very end. I feel like I was just as surprised as Emily was that she was getting out. I wasn't totally surprised that June decided to stay since there mm. needs to be some big fuel storyline to fuel season three. At the beginning of the season, I would have expected for Emily, Janine, or Nick to get killed off, so I'm a little surprised that they all made it through this point. It will be interesting to see if the aftermath of the Emily, June, and... Uh, Nicole Holly escape and Aunt Lydia survives her injuries next season. I don't think she's gone. I mean, with a powerhouse talent like uh, Aunt Lydia, yeah, of Anne Dowd, she's not dead. Do not, you cannot get rid of her? No, she's not. She's no, not dead. You guys. cannot get rid of Von Strahovski. Too strong. Too strong. <laughs> no. Um. So yeah, uh, thank you, Amy. That is some really, really great comments. Like, even if uh, June did get in the van, like we still have. We still have Aunt Lydia, and we still have uh, Serena. We still have some powerhouses that would have kept that story going and would have been intense. And uh, Jennifer wrote in again, you know, she her favorite parts, you know, Eden did know how to read. Her dad, 
her scene with June and Nick, Aunt Lydia. So, she, <laughs> um, so I uh, had expressed, you know, how tragic that whole uh, storyline got after yeah. uh, Eden uh, was murdered. But right, alrighty. So uh, we are going to wrap for episode thirteen, oh, season two. It's so bittersweet so for us as well. Oh. I mean, I just want to extend my greatest thanks to abigail and Kay. they have been the greatest partners in this process it's been such a it's great been so much journey. fun it has been fun for talking about something with such serious subject matter i think that sometimes the solution is to really dig into something and not just gloss over it and say you know this is so bleak this is so raw and this i really is so loved violent. getting it's, into the characters exactly. and the plot There's lines so much and here to explore. all the policy and just the the laws and regulations and then the international sphere and how everyone's reacting like it was just it was awesome that we got to talk about all these different aspects of such a dense show yeah and you know thank you to everyone that's listening and it's just meant so much to us every time someone send us a comment it's comments on a facebook post yes. I, I post uh every time someone comments on a facebook post i read yes. them all i love you all even <laughs> those of you who disagree with us but i think you know if, if no, i can good. leave you know y'all with you know just a little tidbit of something for me personally it's just that you know the three women on this podcast and also mike and you know we come from different backgrounds and we have different Mm -hmm. opinions and we don't always agree right and you guys also don't always agree with us and that's great i love it and i hope that you know the little nugget we can you know leave uh someone with is that you know we can have discourse yeah even if our ideas don't match up even if our backgrounds don't match up right and that we can talk about something in common that we love right and have different viewpoints on it and i think that's and good i i think that's I think it's something really healthy so i encourage you to have your own great dialogues with uh your friends and families over the show things you're passionate about uh, if you have any other you know comments or feedback as you watch the show, any articles or events that come up, please don't be uh, shy. Reach out to me at thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on the Facebook page. We're at facebook.com slash thehandmaidspodcast. If you follow, I always post news updates yes, every day, <laughs> multiple times a day yes. about, you know, everything Handmaid's Tale related. Yes. So always send questions my way, send articles my way. I'm all for it. I'm here for you. You want to just like talk about something, email me. <laughs> I have multiple message threads going in my inbox just you know (laughs) talking to listeners of this show about the handmaid's tale so thank you so much everybody we will talk to you soon yes i will not be away for very long (laughs) and uh, i hope to come back and yeah keep talking this is is lovely love 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 this show and uh, love the conversations blessed be the fruit salad blessed be the fruit (laughs) salad Bye. May the force be with you. (laughs) Thank you for a fabulous season of listening to The Handmaid's Podcast. My name is Donna Bali. I'm your host and producer. Thanks again to Abigail Johnson and Kay Megan Washington, who had to unfortunately leave a little early this episode, but... She'll be back in a few weeks, and we're going to catch up with her with a few more of your listener comments. 
If you would like to be a part of the Handmaids podcast and be a part of our lecture series in between seasons two and three, email me at thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast. You can also donate to our podcast at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash The Handmaid's Podcast. Please leave us a review if you love what you've heard all season. Thanks to Jada Pandy, NY Buzz, Traumatic Videos, Auto, and Running Griff Mama for your recent iTunes reviews. It helps us bump up in the ratings and helps those who love The Handmaid's Tale as much as you do find our podcast. We record in the Locon Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. Our music is by bensound.com and our logo is designed by Jelko Strakal. Talk to y'all soon. <laughs>